Well, good morning. We're in the middle of a series called You Ask For It, where you've submitted your questions via email, postcard, through our church app. And what we've done is we've compiled those questions, and each Sunday we're trying to answer that specific question. Well, this morning's question is, what happens when you die? Well, this is an important question because if the Lord doesn't tarry, we all will eventually face death. Despite all the medical advances, the death rate's still the same it is today. It was a thousand years ago, and that's 100%. Three people die, or three people die every second, 180 every minute. That's nearly 11,000 every single hour. If you do the math, that's 250,000 people die every single day worldwide. It strikes the old, it strikes the young, it strikes the rich, it strikes the poor, it strikes the healthy, it strikes the sick, it strikes the good, it strikes the bad. There's these two friends, Don and Fred we'll call them, and they were debating on whether they, there was baseball in heaven. And so they made a pact. They said, whoever goes to heaven first, find out and come back and tell the other. Well, Don passes away first. And a few days later, he, he comes back. He appears to Fred in a dream. And Fred, Fred says, hey, what'd you find out? Is there baseball in heaven? And Don said, well, I got good news. And I got bad news. The good news is this. They do have baseball in heaven. The bad news is this. You're pitching tomorrow night. <laughs> when your time's up, it's up. We may be able to postpone death, but we'll never be able to eliminate death. One day, I'm going to die. One day, you're going to die. One day, all of our loved ones are going to die. And there's nothing we can do to change that fact. So what happens when we die? In fact, the question can be found in what Bible scholars believe the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, thousands of years ago, they were asking the exact same question in Job chapter 14, verse 14. It says, if someone dies, will they live again? It's one of the top three philosophical questions of all time. Is death a period in the sentence of life or is death simply a comma? So what happens when we die? Let's first of all talk about what will not happen when we die. Some misconceptions about death. Some people believe that when you die, that is the absolute end of existence. If we read Genesis chapter 25 verse 8, we find out that's not true. It says, then Abraham breathed his last breath and died at a good old age. And he was gathered to his people. This implies there's life after death. Ellen Johnson, who is the president of American Atheist, she put it this way. She said, the atheist accepts the reality that when you die, that is the end. That is it. Therefore, life, all we know, and all we can ever know is right here. We can't know death. Death is a nonsense word. The only fulfillment, the only joy, the only happiness you ever know is right now. Now is the time to do your part. Now is the time to enjoy life. We need to be praying for Ms. Johnson. Some people say that when a person dies, they are reincarnated into to somebody else or something else. 
On the Discovery Channel the other day, they were talking about a 16th century prince. And the 16th century prince, he was building the most elaborate, most uh, luxurious, most expensive horse stable there ever was. Do you know why? Because he thought he was going to be reincarnated into a horse. Guys, reincarnation is nothing more than a fairy tale. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 it says, just as a person or people are destined to die once. How many? Once. And after that, to face judgment. Some people say that you get a second chance after death. They say if you say no to, this, if you say no to Jesus in this life, you'll have another opportunity in the afterlife. Guys, that's a life of the pit of hell and smells of smoke. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, you're to die once, and then after that, to face judgment. The only opportunity that you will ever have to get right with God is the opportunity that God places in front of you right here in this life. There's no second chances in the afterlife. Well, now that we've cleared up a few misconceptions, let's talk about what will happen when we die. Let's look at a well-known passage. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 24. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. With Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm agony in this fire. So the first question is, where do we go? Now, some people teach soul sleep. It's when you die, your soul enters this unconscious state until the resurrection. In fact, Seventh-day Adventists believe this in their fundamental belief statement. They say this, the condition of a man in death is of unconsciousness. And all men, good and evil alike, remain in the grave from death to the resurrection. Catholics teach purgatory. It's the place where a believer's souls go to be further purified from sin before admission into heaven. If that's the case... That goes against the sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross to cleanse us of all of our sins. Listen, the moment we die, we will face the judgment of death. Well, excuse me, the judgment of faith. And that will determine where we will go. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will face the punishment of God. And if you do have a relationship with God, you will face the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, absent with the body is present with the Lord. Did you get that? Absent with the body is present with the Lord. We will be face to face with an almighty God. However, this will be our intermediate home. Let me reread verses 22 and 23. 
It says the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. This is the intermediate home. This is the intermediate heaven. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Now, Hades can be translated in chapter 16 as hell. That is an intermediate hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, here's what I think a lot of people don't understand. Neither the rich man nor Lazarus was in their final dwelling place. The rich man was in Hades. It's a place of torment waiting for those, or, or a place of torment for those waiting the lake of fire, the eternal hell. And Lazarus, he was with Abraham, the father of our faith. He was in the intermediate heaven, a temporary heaven, waiting on the resurrection and waiting on the new heaven and new earth, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Let me be clear. When you die, your soul leaves your body and will go to an intermediate heaven. Some people call that paradise or an intermediate hell, Hades. N.T. Wright says this, the early Christians held firmly to a two-step belief about the future. First, death and whatever lies immediately beyond. Second, a new bodily existence in a newly remade world. I recently read a, a story about a young preacher. In fact, when I read the story, it said it's a true story. A man died and this man didn't have any friends and the only relatives he had were distant relatives and they lived in another state. So they called this young preacher and they said, would you be willing to do just a simple graveside service? They said, nobody's going to be at the, the funeral, unfortunately, except for the funeral director and a few men that work for the cemetery that will be digging the graves, grave. So on the way to this unfamiliar cemetery, this poor young preacher gets lost. Finally, he sees this little church, and he sees a cemetery behind it, and he sees these three men leaning against their shovels beside a large pile of dirt. So he assumes this must be the cemetery. So he drives into the parking lot. He doesn't see a hearse. He doesn't see the funeral director. He figured, hey, they must have just given up on me and left. So he parks his car. He runs up to the gravesite. He looks at the workers and he says, hey, guys, I'm so sorry I'm late. I notice you've already buried the vault. Just allow me to say a few words and then we can leave. So the workmen took off their hats. And man, this young preacher, he delivered a powerful message well, after he finished, one of the workmen walked up to him and smiled. And he says, preacher, I don't know who you are, but that's the most powerful funeral message I've ever heard for a septic tank. <laughs> I don't know if he ever found that cemetery or not. Uh, but what sometimes we forget is that a funeral, the person's not in that casket. That's only the body. Death is not the end. Like Lazarus, like the rich man, we will go to a temporary place. I love how Randy Alcorn illustrates this, how he illustrates the difference between an intermediate heaven and an eternal heaven. He says this, suppose that you were living in a homeless shelter in Columbia, but you inherit 
a mansion, a mansion in Hawaii. It's fully furnished and it's overlooking the ocean. And it gets even better because some of your friends and some of your family has already moved out to Hawaii years, years ago. So what you do is you, you get on a plane and you fly to Hawaii. But on the way to Hawaii, you have a layover, a layover in Dallas. So you get off the plane and you have other friends and other family members join you at the Dallas airport. And you fellowship together and then all of you get on the plane and you all fly to Hawaii. Now, if someone in Columbia asks you, where are you going to live? Where is your new home? Are you going to say Dallas? No, because that's just a temporary layover. You're going to say, I'm moving to Hawaii, your permanent residence, your final destination. Likewise, the heaven that we go to when we die is just an intermediate heaven. It's a temporary dwelling place. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. But it is only a stop along the way to our final destination. Our permanent home, our eternal home. I know a lot of you ask, what will we look like? Our soul leaves our body, goes to a temporary heaven. Some people believe that we will receive a temporary body. I don't believe this. I believe that somehow, some way, our soul will function as a body. Until the resurrection. Now, there is future hope our future hope is that one day we will receive our resurrected bodies our glorified bodies listen in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 50 through 53 it says what I am saying dear brothers and sisters is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will, be, it will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Now, when will this happen? Most people believe this is the rapture. Most people believe this is the rapture. That, in fact, the word rapture means caught up. Let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, who are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will be with the Lord forever. Now, most people believe this is the rapture caught up, but most theologians disagree when the rapture will take place. You see, at the end of times, there will be an horrific time in the history of our world. 
It's called the tribulation. It's a seven-year period. Some people believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation. Some people think it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Some people think it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. I personally feel it's going to happen before the tribulation. But listen, no one knows. But we will all find out when we stand before God. And then everybody will look at me and say that I was right. <laughs> I know what you're wondering. What will we look like in these resurrected bodies? What will we look like in our glorified bodies? Let me read 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall look like him. Who will we look like? Him. Who is him? Jesus Christ. For we shall see him as he is. John MacArthur put it this way. We will forever be who we are now, only without our faults and infirmities. Spiritually, we will be without sin. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, it says, No longer will there be any curse. Physically, we will look our very, very, very best. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 42 through 44, So will it be that the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown, is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Emotionally, we will be full of joy. Luke chapter 6, verse 21 and 20 through 23. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is our reward in heaven. Relationally, you will know and you will be known. Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary in India for 55 years. Listen to what she has to say. Shall we be, shall we know one another in heaven? Shall we love? Shall we remember? I do not think anyone need wonder about this. It is not necessary to say anything about this which our own hearts tell us. We do not need words. Would you be yourself if you did not love and remember? We are told that we shall be like our Lord Jesus. Surely this does not mean in holiness alone, but in everything and does not he know and love and remember? He would not be himself if he did not. And we would not be ourselves if we did not. Let's review. I've got a slide up here. Up here. All right. If you know Christ, your soul will go to an intermediate heaven and at the rapture you will receive your resurrected body your glorified body then there will be a time of tribulation and then Christ will come to this earth and reign for 1,000 years we will be with him this is called the millennium 
Now, after the millennium, the old heaven will come down to the old earth. And this is called the new heaven and the new earth. I know you're looking at me right now saying, is this seminary 101 class? I know it sounds like it, but bear with me. Now, what happens if you do not know Jesus Christ and you die? Your soul will leave your body. It will go to a temporary place, Hades. And then at the rapture, people that don't know Christ will not receive their glorified bodies, will not receive their resurrected bodies. The tribulation will go. The thousand-year reign, thousand reign of Christ, the millennium. After the millennium, those that not, do not believe in Jesus Christ, they will be resurrected join their souls, and then they'll go before the great white throne judgment. Guys, this is not good. They will be judged, and they will be thrown into their permanent home, the lake of fire, eternal hell. All right. Got it? This means yes. All right. There's going to be a quiz after this. A believer, their soul goes to an intermediate heaven. At the rapture, they receive their glorified bodies, their resurrected bodies. Heaven will come down, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That is called our eternal home. Let's talk about our eternal home. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea now I don't believe that we're talking about an ocean or a sea I think that symbolizes water a division will no longer be divided will all be united verse 2 I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband as I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself God himself will be with them and their God he will wipe every tear from their eyes there'll be no more death and mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away Verse 1 said there's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. Now some people believe that the old earth, the old heaven are completely destroyed. But I don't believe that's true. John Piper says it this way. He uses the analogy of a butterfly. He says the butterfly passes away and the butter, or the caterpillar passes away and the butterfly emerges. The butterfly that emerges is completely new, but yet it's the completely the same. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what our eternal home looks like? I love the National Ge Geographic Channel. And I'm utterly amazed at what our planet Earth looks like. But it's only going to get better. Because it's the new Earth, we can expect things, earthly things like waterfalls and like mountains and like beaches and rivers and lakes and trees but it'll only be better than anything that you can ever imagine 
In verse 2, it, it talks about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Let me give you just a glimpse of this new holy city. It says, that the gates have the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed on them. Each gate is made of a single, single pearl. That's a big pearl. The walls are made of pure jasper. And the foundation of the walls are made with 12 precious stones, including sapphire, emerald, and topaz. If you keep reading in verses 15 and 16, it says that an angel actually measures this new holy city. It measures 1,400 feet, I mean 1,400 miles wide. 1,400 miles deep and 1,400 miles high. Now, if you think of that as a skyscraper, with each floor being 12 feet, it's over 600,000 stories. And each floor is big enough to hold 62 million condominiums at 10,000 square feet each. Main Street, pure gold. It's as transparent as glass. And flowing through the middle of Main Street is the river of life that flows from the throne of God. And then if you look at verse 3, the most important thing is this. We will be with God. Theologian Sam Storm writes, We will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love with God, and thus, ever more relishing his presence and our relationship with him. Verse 4. It tells us that we will what? Think about this. We will see his face. Can you imagine that? You'll see his face. You'll be able to touch his hands. You'll be able to kiss his feet. And it says it'll give us more comfort than we've ever experienced. He says, I'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. 2 Corinthians 2.9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. Well, so what? So what are you going to do with today's message? What's the best way to meet death? Let me give you three things. First, if you haven't already done this, I encourage you to to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, who is her? You know the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is talking to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And the last part of that verse, I can picture Jesus Christ 
probably kneeling on his knees because I picture Martha being on her knees. And I picture Jesus looking at her with just love and care and compassion. Then he says this, Martha, do you believe this? Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God promises victory over death. All you have to do is believe in him. Give your heart, give your life to Christ Jesus. When you do that, your home in heaven, it will be secure. Second, live for Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You can never say to die is gain unless you can say to live is Christ. Friends, Jesus gives us every reason not to fear death. And he gives us every reason to embrace life and to love life. So live every single day for Jesus Christ. Third, don't take one single day for granted. James 4, 14, it says, what is your life? It says, you are a mist that appears for a little while, and then what? Vanishes. Life is a precious, precious gift, a precious, precious gift from God. So don't waste a single day. If you're holding on to grudges, let them go. If you're living in sin, stop it. Stop doing what's right, wrong and start doing what's right. If you don't feel close to Jesus, get close to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, start by reading God's Word. Start by praying. Start by fellowshipping with other believers. If you do these things, you'll be ready to meet death face to face. What about you? Are you ready? Let's pray. Well, Father God, we love you. And Father God, we, we just praise you for who you are, our Father. Father, and I know that we will all face death if if Jesus doesn't return, and God, I know it's, it's your desire for every one of us to spend eternity with you. And God, I know that in a, in a room this large with this many people, God, that there, there may be someone in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. That's the most important decision that they could ever make. Father, I'd be amiss if I didn't share with them what that relationship and how you can have that relationship. It's pretty simple. It's nothing magic. All they have to do is give their heart, their life to Jesus Christ. Now they may be thinking, how do I do that? Simple. First, you just have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to say, Father God, I know that I've sinned. In fact, the Bible tells us that we all sinned. Secondly, you've got to believe. What do you have to believe? That Jesus Christ died on a cross. 
He died on a cross for our sins. All of our sins are past sins, present, and future. Just ask forgiveness of sins. And last, just ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. And it's more than a knowledge thing. It's a heart thing. So if you feel Jesus Christ right now pulling at your heart, tugging at your heart, simply pray this prayer. Pray it silently. I certainly don't want anybody to be embarrassed, but just pray silently. Say, Father God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me my sins. God, I, I never want to do those things again. I do believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. He lived a perfect life. He died for my sins. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I want to live for you and you alone. I want to make you a priority in my life. Father God, I love you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, still all eyes are closed, all heads are bowed. If you prayed that prayer, just simply just raise your hand. Just simply raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Father God, thank you for this time. Father, if you prayed that prayer, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Your word says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Father God, thank you for your presence here today. Father, I know that it sometimes seems like it was just a teaching lesson, but God, it's so much more than that. We want to be prepared for the day we meet you. Father God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.